0: I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? We're talking about how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion. And now we come to a very critical subject here, and that is choosing a support group. So far, we've been trying to, you need to develop your relationship with God in the absence of church and religion. You know, it's you, your Bible, it's a day of connectivity with God, it's uh, your prayer life, it's your, you know, your desires, what you do, what you don't do. We're talking about developing a relationship with God without church and religion, but there comes a point when you're gonna need to choose a support group of like-minded people. And I'm gonna give you some things to go on that will help you do this. Choose a support group of like-minded people. Now, if you want to find Satan's most deceptive, creative work, go to church. Okay? If you really want to be deceived, just assume all churches are good. That all churches are right. If you really want to be deceived. Let's take a look at something that, a little parable that Jesus told about the parable of the tares, Matthew 13 and verse 36. Matthew 13 and verse 36. His disciples came to him saying, explain, declaring to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Now to simplify this, let me simplify this for you. The field is the world. In that field, there are good seed and bad seeds, okay? God sows the good seeds, the devil sows the bad seeds. This is the parable of the tares, okay. Very simplistic, easy to understand. In the world, listen, in the world there are tear churches. People of the tares erect a building, put a steeple or a cross on it, and they call it a church. Yeah, I'm I'm serious, you know. There are 450,000 churches that dot our land in America. 450,000 churches. Now, in some of those churches, the terror churches, Satan places his ministers in those terror churches. You would really be deceived if you just assume that all 450,000 of those churches that dot our landscape in America, you would really be deceived. You would really be foolish to assume that all of those are put there by God. Not so. Not so at all. Okay. Okay, Satan places his ministers in the terror churches. Let's notice this 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know, if Satan ever appears by your bedside, he's going to appear to you as a beautiful, translucent, glowing spirit being. You're gonna wanna believe, you're gonna think it's an angel, and you're gonna wanna believe what he's telling you. Okay, he appears as an angel of light. Therefore, verse 15, it is no great thing if his ministers also, notice, whose ministers? Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. How do these ministers come across? As ministers of righteousness. They wear the garb, they wear the robes, they wear the cross, they come across as ministers of righteousness. They're in buildings, the buildings have a steeple on it, the buildings have a cross on it, but they are tear churches. What is their message? What is their message? Well, their message goes something like this, just believe. Just give your heart to the Lord. Just invite him in. There's nothing you must have to do. All you gotta do is just accept it. Just just say, Jesus, I accept you and I'm saved and that's all you gotta do. Grace plus nothing is some of the things they say. Yeah, I'm telling you the truth, I mean, You've got to be able to identify this. You've got to be able to identify the tear churches and the message. You identify them by the message that they preach. If it's a no-law theology, it's a tear church. Bottom line, bottom line. Notice Revelation 19 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. Now why? Why would you assume if, if Satan deceives the whole world, why would you assume that religion is excluded from that? Why? Well, everybody, you know, the government's deceived, you know, Hollywood, they're deceived, uh, entertainment, they're deceived, uh, everybody's deceived but church, but the churches that dot our land, the 450,000 churches that dot our land, they're, you know, they're, they're not deceived, they're all godly, they're, they're all preaching the right kind of message. Why would you believe that? How, how could you believe that? How could you be so foolish? Now, we're talking about how to begin a relationship with God without church and religion, and I'm telling you, you know, if you're the type, well, you're sort of getting old, and it's time for me to get me some religion, and all churches are good, and I'm gonna go get myself saved, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, you, you do that, you do that. And I tell you, you're very foolish if you think, listen, there are tear churches out there. Okay? The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Satan places his ministers there in the church as ministers, and they come across as ministers of righteousness. You're not going to be able to tell by looking. They got the religious garb on, okay? The only way you can tell is by the message. The message. Okay? How to choose a support group, all right, let's go. First one, you're gonna have to do some evaluation here. You're gonna have to ask, what is it that you believe? Don't ever go to a church until you first ask, what is it that you believe? Why would you go to a church without first knowing what they believe? There's only one reason you do that, because you don't believe anything. This is why it's so important to first develop a relationship with God in the absence of church and religion. You first got to come to a point to where you believe something. If you don't believe anything, you're just going to visit churches that don't believe anything. You first have to build a relationship with God in the absence of church. You got to develop some conviction. You got to develop some knowledge about God, about his law, about his commandments, about what he expects from you. You don't just start visiting churches, okay? Now, most churches don't believe anything. Did you know that? They don't believe anything. It's a a pep rally to make you feel good about yourself. Let me illustrate something here. If you were to ask most churches, what do you believe about the law of God? What, What is it that you believe about the law of God? They're gonna tell you, well, the law's been abolished, it's been fulfilled, it's been nailed to the cross, okay? Now, let's follow that line of reasoning. Okay, the law, okay, we're talking about, okay, the law, if you ask most churches, well, the law's been abolished, it's been nailed to the cross, it's been fulfilled, okay. The law defines what is sin. Did you know that? Sin is the breaking of God's law, 1 John 3, 4. You can't get a speed limit. You can't get a ticket for running running a stop sign if there is no stop sign, okay. Now, let's just follow this line of reasoning, reasoning here. If there's no law, then there's nothing that you can do that's wrong. Okay? So if there is no law, there's nothing you can do that's wrong. You don't need to have faith if there's nothing that you can do that's wrong. You don't need a savior, if there is no law, therefore there's nothing you you can do that's wrong. You don't need a savior? What do you need a savior for if there's nothing that you can do that's wrong? If there is no law, you don't need a church, you don't need religion, you don't need a relationship with God if there is no law. Because there's nothing that you can do that's wrong. You see how idiotic that line of reasoning is? You see how stupid that concept, well, the law's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been fulfilled. I tell you, you've got to be able to identify, if there is no law, then why are we here? Why are you in church? If there is no law, go out and have a party. Go do whatever you want to. There's nothing that you can do that's wrong if there is no law. The law defines what is sin. Period, that's the purpose of the law. It's the purpose of it, it's to tell you what's right, it's just like that stop sign, stop. That's the purpose of the law, it defines what is sin. Now, so you ask what is is it that you believe? You You say, let me see your statement of beliefs. They can mail that to you, you can call and you can say, I was thinking about visiting your church, could you mail me your statements of beliefs? I wanna know what you believe. Before I turn my mind over, I want to over to you, I want to know what is it that you believe. If you don't believe anything, there's no point in me visiting your church. And don't fall for that. Oh, we're just here to worship God. We're just here to fellowship. We're just here to praise God. We're just here, you know, to strengthen the body of Christ. No, you've got to know what is it that you believe. If that's what they're telling you, we're just here to worship, we're just here to praise, that means they don't believe anything. They don't even have a statement of beliefs, okay? <clears throat> Listen, if you just want to be entertained, go to a circus. A circus doesn't believe in anything, and you can be entertained. If that's what you're looking for. Community churches, multiple faith churches. You know, it's a joke. If It's a joke, they don't believe anything. That's why they're able to meet together, don't you know? Now, you know what happens when you render a statement of belief to a, to a multiple faith church or community churches? Well, they, they all disagree with one another and they quit coming to church. That's what happens, you can't have absolutes. So what you must look for from a support group, first thing, do they know the definition of sin? You can find this in their statement of beliefs if they have one, but this is the first one. Do you know that, what, what is the definition of sin? That's the first thing you do before visiting a church. You ask, do you know the definition, definition of sin? Okay, let me show you an example here of a statement of belief on the subject of sin. Okay, here it is. Sin is the transgression of God's law the falling short or missing the mark of the character of Jesus Christ. Although the penalty for sin is death in the lake of fire, all sin can be completely forgiven by God who desires that all men be saved. Okay, that's a good, that, that's a good clear, clarified there. What is sin? It, it, it goes on to say, it quotes this verse, 1 John 3, 4, whosoever commits sin transgress also transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So here we have a good example of a statement of belief that defines, okay, what is sin? You gotta know this before visiting a church. So we have absolutes, okay? So you would agree with me, the breaking of the Ten Commandments is sin. Okay, the breaking of the first commandment is sin, the breaking of the second, the third, the fourth. Yes, the fourth. The breaking of the the Sabbath day is sin. You would agree with that, right? (laughs) You see, a church without absolutes, all they have is an opinion. Well, yes, we have an opinion, but they're not based on absolutes. Notice this, Isaiah 8 and verse 20. Isaiah 8 and verse 20. To the law and testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, you know, what I'm saying is, no absolutes, no truth. Is what you need, you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Church that doesn't have any absolute, no truth. And you know, actually, now that I think about it, I should've put that one up as another good point. That to ask them, what is your view of the law? If you really want to really wanna cut to the chase, if you really wanna to get to the heart of the matter, just ask the church that you're thinking about visiting, what is your view of the law of God? You'd be amazed at some of the things you hear. Okay, second thing that, I, that is important before visiting a church is what is a Christian? You want to know what is their view of a Christian? Okay, let me give you an example here of a statement of belief right here. A true Christian is one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And it quotes Romans 8 and verse 9. Now, if any man have not, have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay, this is, you know, What is a Christian? Okay, a Christian is a person who has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Third thing you want to ask is, before visiting a church, is, well, what is the Holy Spirit and how do I receive it? What is the Holy Spirit and how do I receive it? All right, let me give you an example here of a statement of belief here. uh, The Holy Spirit is the essence, power, mind, and spiritual extension and presence of God. God begets Christians as his sons and daughters through the Spirit. It strengthens a Christian spiritually, converts his mind, and serves as the earnest or guarantee of eternal life. You know, a church that cannot give you an answer, an absolute specific answer as to what is the Spirit of God and how do I receive it, is a dead church. Why? Because it says, if any man have not The spirit of God He is none of his. You gotta have, now this is gonna be the next, the the last program that I do is gonna be entitled How to Receive the Spirit of God. And I'm gonna be going through the step-by-step process for receiving the spirit of God. Fourth thing you wanna ask is what is salvation? Before you visit a church, you want to ask, what is salvation? You want to read a statement of beliefs. What is salvation? All right, let me give you an example here. Salvation is the means by which God, through Christ, saves man from the penalty of sin and gives him eternal life. This process includes one's calling, repentance, baptism, justification, receiving of the Holy Spirit, life of faith and obedience and finally birth into god's kingdom as a spirit being salvation is a freely given gift from god through grace with our ultimate rewards giving according to our works okay but notice this it says the process includes one's calling okay in order to have salvation god has to call you repentance you have to repent of your sins God's not interested in spending eternity with a pack of rebels, okay? Baptism, baptism is critical. It represents the burial of the old man. Justification, receiving the Holy Spirit of God. If any man had not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. Life of faith and obedience. And that's a word you're just not gonna hear in most churches, obedience. Oh, no, that's a bad word. You know, don't, don't you dare say the O word. Obedience, no, we don't say that around here. You're not gonna hear that, okay? Fifth question you wanna ask is why do you even exist? Why do you exist as a church? What's your purpose, what's your goal? All right, let me share with you a statement of belief on this subject, why do you exist? The primary purpose and commission of the church is to go ye therefore and teach make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Listen, why do you exist? Here it is, the Great Commission. All other things are secondary, by the way. I hope you do understand that. Feeding the poor, humanitarian works, all that, all all that stuff is good, but the primary purpose is the Great Commission of the church. That's the reason they exist. I personally will have nothing to do with a church that does not have outreach when it comes to the Great Commission. You know, I'm not interested in going to church and playing church, I'm just not. I'm not interested in playing church. I want to be involved in a work of outreach, of reaching people that God, through his spirit, is trying to bring to him, or is bringing to him. Not trying, but he's doing it. But I want to be a part of a work of outreach. Continuing on with that, uh, the statement of belief, the gospel is the message preached by Christ and by his church about God's coming kingdom, the restoration of his government on earth, and how mankind can enter that kingdom and government. It includes the message of what Jesus has done, is doing, and shall do, and ultimately is the message of the entire old and new testament that's right the gospel the message of the old and new testament is that christ is going to return he is going to set up his kingdom on this earth and that you can have a part in it these five questions you want to have answered specifically before you ever darken a door of a church what is sin what is a christian what is the holy spirit and how do i receive it what is salvation And why do you exist as a church? What's your purpose? You need to have that answer before visiting a church. Now, why is the church important? You know, Jesus said, I will build my church. Okay, what is the church? The church is a spiritual organism composed of people who have the spirit of God and who are in the process of surrendering to God's authority. That's what the church is. These individuals are scattered throughout the whole world today, they really are. Why do you need the church? Why do you need the church? Why do you need a support group? Well, I'll tell you why. It's hard to be your own cheerleader. I mean, it may work for a while, but it's hard for you to be your own cheerleader. Uh, You need a support group. You know, It's hard to come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. And the Bible says, come out of her, my people. Don't be a part of this ungodly society. Don't be a part of its entertainment. You know, it's, 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 it's government, it's, and in some cases, it's, it's religion. Don't be a part of its religion, because it has its own religion that is anti-God, anti-law, I should say. It really is. But it's gonna be hard for you to do that. You know, when God calls a person, he calls us to leave behind a lot of things that you hold dear. A lot of things that you have developed over time in this world, you've become attached to the things of this world. And it's gonna be hard for you to leave some of the things behind. Because many of the things in the world, they just seem right, they feel good, there's an emotional attachment to them. Oh, it just feels so good to do this, I really enjoy doing this. And so God calls you out of the world, and he calls you to leave behind a lot of the things that you hold dear in the world. And you're going to need a support group to break away from that. You really are. You're going to need other people who think like you, who are in the process of doing the exact same thing that you're doing, coming out of the world. You need that support group. It's important. You know, they say that people change depending on their connection with other people. It's called the 80-20 rule. And it goes like this, if you present a truth, 10% will believe it, 10% will do nothing, (laughs) and 80% will will believe it depending on their connection with others. Notice that, depending on their connection with others. In other words, the more you are connected with others, the more likely you are to believe the things that are being taught. Why do you need a church? Why do you, do you need a support group? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there are things that you cannot do on your own. Really. There are things that you cannot do on your own. You can't baptize yourself and lay hands on yourself for the receiving of the Spirit of God. You can't do that yourself. If you're sick, you can't anoint yourself and lay hands on you and pray over yourself. You, that's not the way it works. The church is a service institution, period. It's there to serve you. It's a service institution. And the church stands as a beacon to a sick, sick world. It says, look, we can help you. If you need some truth, come here. If you're sick and you need to be healed, come here and we'll lay hands on you and we'll pray over you and we'll ask God to heal you. If you need the Spirit of God, we can help you receive the Spirit of God. We can take you down in the waters of baptism and we can lay hands on you and ask God to give you a portion of his Holy Spirit. You know, the church does not think for you. The church does not lord it over. The church doesn't tell you what to do, what to think, when to get up, when to go to the bathroom. The church does not threaten you. Oh, if you leave the fold, you'll lose your salvation, no. The church does not say, follow me and I will lead you into the promised land, no. That's a cult. If you're in a group like that, you're in a cult that's telling you everything to do, telling you what to think. That's not a church, that's a cult. You need to get out of there quickly. So the church is important. And I think a lot of people would think with the messages I've been given that I'm sort of anti-church. I'm not. I'm just saying that I think we got it backwards. I think we got it backwards. Most people enter in a relationship with God, the first thing they think about doing is is going to church and getting them some religion. And immediately their, their mind, they just give their minds over to this church, to this denomination, to this organization. They just give it over and say, here it is. You tell me what to think, what to believe about God, what to believe about the Bible, and I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. No, a relationship with God is personal. It's personal, it starts with you. It starts with you and your Bible. You know, and it starts with you and your prayer life. And you know, it's personal, and you have to develop that first before you ever visit a church. You have to be grounded in truth before you visit a church because if you're not you'll just be brainwashed by what they've been what what the seminary school has taught them they're going to share with you and much of that stuff is wrong it's dead wrong what you learn in seminary school it's not based on the word of god it can't be backed up with the word of god you know i want to close with <clears throat> what what the real church is what the real church is. You want, you want to find a real definition of the church of God. Here it is. It's Hebrews 12 and verse 23. It says this to the general assembly and church assembly, excuse me, and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. There's three things that the Church of God consists of. First of all, it consists of your name written in heaven, which means God had his eye on you. God has called you. Your name is written in heaven. Two, being judged by God today. Listen, if God has called you, today is your day of salvation. You're being judged today. This is what the Church of God is all about. Today, you're being judged. If God has called you, if your name has been written in heaven, if God has put his finger on on you and said, I want this person, you're being judged right now for your actions, what you do, what you believe, the decisions that you make. You're being judged right now. And third, your spirit is being made perfect. It's only one way that happens for your spirit to be made perfect. You got to have the spirit of God dwelling inside you. God's spirit unites with your spirit and a new creature in Christ starts to develop. And the bottom line is, this church will not be completed until the resurrection. It's a work in progress. It's a work that's being developed slowly. God working in your life, helping you to overcome, helping you to be a better person, helping you to put sin out of your life. It's a process. So, is that really in the Bible? I'm David Freeman, and I'll see you next time. If you would like more information, or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.